Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. Daryl has shared a lot um, about uh, uh, his experiences with uh, uh, hearing aids. I, I have the same issue. And uh, uh, it's, it's so important to uh, your brain to be able to uh, hear the sounds that you hear so it can respond to public. And it's interesting that. that Mentioning how this data says that one out of three between 65 and 74, but half of those people who are older than 75 have a hearing problem, but uh, many people don't do anything about it. Of course, uh, there's many articles in the newspapers about now that the hearing aids are out, what can you do about it? And uh, one of the things that uh, uh, you won't know Unless you got an audiologist, it's whether you have mild hearing loss, moderate hearing loss, or severe hearing loss, or profound hearing loss. And whether the hearing aid you get is capable of addressing any of those issues. And then, of course, the next issue is uh, what causes it. Of course, I think uh, John Buchanan has uh, articulated many ways in which uh, his hearing is. Mine is probably affected by uh, uh, using earphones and uh, having the, the, the voice level up too high for a long period of time. Uh, but there are other sources of hearing loss, like conductive uh, uh, hearing loss, and the nerve, the auditory nerve being blocked, the combination of the above. Uh, and I think that uh, uh, this is something that we can do something about. That's the nice thing about hearing loss. We can do something about it for the most part. Uh, there are situations that uh, you can do something about. It. So, uh, if you have the nerve loss and you have the bones affected, then you may have to have uh, surgery, surgical injury. Uh, this is a nice line about uh, what to do with people you're talking to can't hear you. <laughs> uh, and of course, my children kept telling me they couldn't hear me, so I, they kind of forced me to go to an audiologist and get hearing tests. Uh, that's one of the things that you can do. That's one of the things that uh, buying a hearing aid won't do. It, it won't. Uh, uh, let you know which of the hearing problems you have, and uh, it, it doesn't help you in terms of knowing uh, what to do after you get the hearing, how you get support, and those kinds of things. Uh, then, of course, the real sign of hearing loss is here's uh, what happens. These are the signs. Uh, people ask the people, what did you say? And we think people are not speaking clearly. I remember I went into a, uh, an office and was wondering why the sound was so so mumbled. And then I realized it wasn't the, the, the uh, production of the sound, it was my 
my ears. Uh, so often the loved ones will tell you, you know, that uh, you keep asking, you know, what did I say? And so uh, if you listen to them, they all uh, advise you what to do. Right, you see the realities. Can somebody ask you a question? Dr. Taylor, I know that um, the AARP has a system where they give you a telephone number to dial and um, you can take a, like a hearing test over the telephone. And, uh, you know, it has different sounds. It'll say press one if you hear a sound here or press two or if you don't hear a sound. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I did one some time ago and it indicated that I did have a problem. And sometimes I do find that, you know, I might ask an individual, what did you say? Especially um, sometimes individuals with, you know, uh, uh, an accent, um, you know, I may say, repeat that, especially when I call the technical assistance, um, like for IT assistance, and they have individuals overseas. And sometimes I can't really understand what they're saying. And I might say, repeat that one more time. But I was just letting you know that AARP does have a phone system that you can take a hearing test by. Right, and that's very good to know. And mm -hmm. they also have a uh, system for uh, for people who really are deaf who, who can't hear that well, to so you can write out exactly what uh, uh, people are saying to you. Mm -hmm. There are uh, aids that exist that if you use them, they can help. And another thing, I took a I took a hearing test from a, uh, from an iPhone app. And I think it's available for Android too. And uh, it produced an audiogram that was uh, very close to what I got at a hearing center. So it was a pretty good aud uh, audiogram, and it told me I had a moderate hearing loss. Great to know. Those are nice uh, ways of doing it. Um, of course, one of the commonest things that you'd like to find is that you've got wax that's obstructing the the sound, but of course that's a, one of the least common problems because that's easily remedied by taking out the wax. Uh, any other thoughts or things that you want to deal with us about the things that are available over the counter other than the hearing aids which are now available at the pharmacies? I have experienced it with my son. Uh, Chris has uh, hearing loss, but it was almost immediate hearing loss. Um, he woke up one morning, couldn't hear, uh, couldn't walk, vertigo really bad. And uh, he was in the hospital for almost a week. Um, definitely he had what they called at that time, severe hearing loss. And the only explanation they gave for it at the time was stress, which mm. it's permanent. I mean, he still has the hearing loss and just to, you always do that second opinion. And Dr. Callender, David took him to Dr. Myers because David had been to almost every doctor at Howard. And uh, Dr. Myers confirmed all the results that the um, VA doctors had done. And he was impressed with the hearing aid that they had given him. And then of course, with my son, he wanted to take it a step further. So he went to a second opinion doctor in um, Massachusetts, which he went there several times, but the only thing that uh, the improvement that he received, the vertigo improved, but I think that happened. They sent him to classes 
to help him deal with vertigo. He could feel it coming on and it was certain exercises he can do to keep him from, at one time, he would literally drop to the floor. So uh, he's not at that state yet. But vertigo is serious. Um, hearing loss is serious. And I'm hearing about it more and more now. I don't know why that is, or maybe I'm more focused on it now. But um, definitely for him, um, it's a permanent thing and it never did get any better. But he suggested to it. As a matter of fact, he makes a joke out of it sometimes because I'll talk to him and uh, then I have to push him and then we pretend that we're doing this sign thing. But um, the aids work. So if you think you have a problem, check it out. Yeah, the, the, more commonly, the labyrinthitis that is associated with that is usually temporary. Uh, and uh, uh, his, of course, is different because it's permanent. Mm -hmm. Uh, and many people have had the labyrinthitis and had that phenomenon, but not many of them, it's temporary and after a period of months, goes away. But uh, Chris has been different. He's completely uh, the vertigo and the hearing uh, loss. It's interesting to see how he's been able to uh, successfully overcome the vertigo, uh, but not the, not the hearing loss. Not the hearing loss, nor the tinnitus. With tinnitus, you have that constant right. ringing. Right. So he still has the uh, ringing. Yeah, that's right. The tinnitus, of all those things, I think the tinnitus may be the one that uh, uh, bothers people even more than the hearing loss because it's constant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it drives people to depression. Yeah, I, okay. I have tinnitus. Um, I've had it for maybe 10 years. Um, I kind of, I guess I got used to it, but uh, sometimes at night when I'm trying to go to sleep, it's pretty mm -hmm. loud and uh, it's just hard to, hard to go to sleep. I, I've had it since childhood and I'm just used to it now. Mm -hmm. Does it affect you sleeping at night? No. Hmm. Well, Dr. I'm sorry. I had it for a brief period. I thought it was awful. Mm -hmm. It lasted maybe for a couple of hours, but uh, mm -hmm. it seemed to be inconceivable that you could even sleep. But I guess you might even get used to it. Anything. Dr. Callender, you know, we're told we go to the dentist twice a year. You know, you go get various exams once a year. How often or should you? use um, earwax removal to clean your ears. How often should you do that? Uh, the the, uh, or the uh, ENT specialist suggested that you, you take uh, the uh, once a month and that will keep the wax from accumulating. Really? That's what they recommended to me, which I didn't do. So, but uh, that's what, that was the recommendation that they gave once a month. Um, oh, wow. But I think whatever, whatever it accumulates, some people it accumulates over a period of two to three months, and some people it's, it takes longer than that. When it accumulates, that, that, that it needs to be removed because it doesn't, it doesn't depend on your hand. I see. Dr. Callender, is that another one of those things I hear a lot lately at your age? So is the wax buildup something that happens uh, more to seniors? 
Uh, I'm not sure about the answer to that, except that the wax happens to everyone, but it seems as though we're more uh, understanding of it or recognizing it as we get older, but I don't know about this problem for younger people. Uh, so uh, that's a good question we have to ask the, the antique people about the younger people. I know as older people, yeah, is something that we, I have to have for, for me to write for me very, Okay, so this is uh, something that is, is, is and, and the audiologists and the ENT people, the people will, uh, say that uh, in terms of understanding how to keep your uh, hearing aid functional, uh, you do need some help. So, uh, now how have you? Dealt with that? Do you, do you go back and forth to the audiologist, or what have you done about it? I go back to the audiologist every three months. I, I saw on one of the slides um, that you shouldn't ask a person to put on, keep putting on their hearing aids or something like that. Why is that? Ask people to do what? To to hear, it says, don't force them to use a hearing aid. It says, don't force them. You can't. Yeah. yeah, you encourage them, but you can't enforce them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You should encourage them as much as possible because it is in their best interest uh, for their brain to function well and for them to be able to hear what people say. Yeah, yeah. I have a 93-year-old godmother who just refuses to use hers. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, wow. pride and ego. I know, I remember when I was starting to use a hearing aid. I, I, I was the only one in the room that had one at the time. And I, I it was kind of embarrassed to use it. But after time, uh, your inability to hear makes it uh, much more desirable to hear than about uh, I'm laughing because, uh, you know, sometimes you get cheap hearing aids and you don't like them. You know, they just amplify the sound, but they don't fill in the missing frequencies. And so forcing somebody to use a bad hearing aid, that's not really addressing the problem. The problem is they should get a hearing aid that works better. That could be. I, I don't know. She's had several different types. So what? Yeah, probably all cheap types. Are I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I have a question about that. Don't it don't force them to see a doctor. So that word should be encourage them to see a doctor. Yes. Yeah. That pride thing, and you got to realize that most people with a, a slight to moderate hearing loss don't even recognize they don't truly believe they've got a hearing loss they they blame it on everything else other people aren't speaking loud enough they're not enunciating clearly the tv's not loud enough it's everybody's fault but their own they just really don't believe they've got a hearing loss mm -hmm. all right sure. mm -hmm. and then if, if you don't speak louder and if you're whispering because sometimes i'm saying Especially, I got two grandchildren that talk very softly and I can't hear them. So I make a joke, speak louder because I'm older and I can't hear you. But uh, even, you know, you know, even people with, 
Um, not here. I don't know. I had myself checked, but you know, I thought speaking loud, especially if somebody had a hearing problem, would help. But I this says even speaking okay. louder doesn't help. Nope. Yeah, that's because like um, uh, word recognition comes with the consonants, and if you lost your high frequencies, you can't hear the consonants, and so you really need the context. But somebody can speak louder, and you don't hear the consonants, and you don't really know what they're saying. That's exactly You know, the other thing, Dr. Callender, is that sometimes people with hearing loss, they can hear themselves very well. And so they have a tendency to talk softer because they can hear themselves. But it's other people that can't hear them when they talk softer. Okay. Any more time, Betty, you had to talk? No, no, I'm I'm fine. I, I just I just wondered because but uh, I know uh, my godmother knows she can't hear because like when I take her to the doctor, she'll tell the doctor or anybody. To tell her because I can't hear good, <laughs> you know, but she she still won't wear those hearing aids. <laughs> what about the elderly people who are fine not hearing people? They don't want to hear anybody. <laughs> not healthy. No, that's not. Yeah. I can see the I can see the connection between Alzheimer's dementia with hearing loss. Because uh, over time, people become less communicative when they have a hearing loss because they stop talking to people. They stop uh, listening because they can't hear the TV or the radio. And without those uh, verbal connections in their head, uh, their brain uh, tends to shut down. Mm. Yeah, that's what the data shows. So it's, uh, it's, it's important to, uh, to be able to hear for many reasons. Dr. Callender, I hear Daryl better than I hear you. I hear high voices better than I hear low voices. Well, you can't hear me as well as because this uh, computer I'm work, working with today is a little uh, different from the one that I'm usually on. So there is a difference between the two of us. It's not your hearing so much as it is the computer. It might be that I, I can't see your lips. Because I might be half reading people's lips. Yeah, that's something that people with uh, hearing loss do as well. All of us do it. We don't appreciate it uh, as much because uh, when people can't, you can't read your lips, then they're forced to be able to listen to exactly what they were saying and hearing the consonants and those things that Dow mentioned. So you're right. Uh, so I'll try to keep my. Uh, <laughs> okay. My mother used to say, let me put my glasses on so I can hear what you're saying. <laughs> Read um, my lips. Yeah. So what do you call it when you really can't read lips? Because sometimes I'm in church and somebody's mouthing something to, to me and I said, I can't read your lips. Um um, is there something wrong with not able to read people's lips? Well, that's so, your, it's, it's, it's unmasking the hearing deficit. That's all. Yeah, it's also your eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> that's a new one. Okay. Okay. 
Any other comments about hearing loss? Um, I think mean, we talked about it adequately. So common. This is an interesting article about the signs of anxiety. I'm not sure uh, how well uh, uh, it's understood. But uh, of course, uh, anxiety, of course, is now uh, one of the commonest ailments we have. Uh, mental illness, of course, is becoming more and more evident, uh, uh, especially since the pandemic. And uh, uh, it all is uh, interacting. Now, one of the things that is important to realize is that if, if, if you don't have good mental health, you don't have you're not healthy. In order to be healthy, you have to have physical and mental, and as far as I'm concerned, and spiritual health in order to be healthy. And so uh, I think uh, often we forget that mental health is an important part of your health. And as such, uh, you need to see the doctor about your mental health as well as you need to see the doctor about your physical health. Uh, somewhat of you need to also deal with your spiritual health in the way you see fit. Uh, so all three of them are important because health is a combination of all three of those factors. Uh, in terms of being anxious, sometimes you have a good reason to be cautious. Uh, living in the United States and uh, grew up in Southeast DC or in certain parts of Chicago, uh, you were uh, necessarily cautious and anxious. Uh, and uh, so the question is, when does this anxiousness really reflect anxiety? And when does this anxiety get to the point that you really need to have help? And, uh, and Dr. Really Callender, I, I wanted to make a point here that every time you see these 12 articles, they're, they're links to the article. So you don't see the article, but all you see is the titles on here. So in order to, to get the most out of this one, you have to actually take the link and go to those articles to read them. Okay. And, and it's interesting, the metabolic links to, to uh, anxiety and the different type of uh, situations, uh, because uh, there are metabolic changes in the brain that affect uh, your ability to uh, be anxious or be depressed or, or not. And uh, uh, this article is about the food uh, and other things that uh, psychedelic, other things that are used to treat uh, mental health disturbances. And uh, uh, there are different uh, medications that are, that are effective, and there are different foods that help. Uh, uh, with them. It's interesting that they, they talk about uh, uh, immunization from bacteria, but uh, what about uh, a vaccine that could prevent stress, anxiety, and depression? And uh, that's an interesting. Uh, Thing. And I think that uh, when we talk about meditation, we talk about yoga and other things like that. Those are exactly the brain science behind all of that. And uh, uh, kind of 
help you understand why why uh, stress is, is something that's interesting. There's been a number of articles that talk about why stress is bad for you, but there are some articles that also talk about why stress is good for you uh, because it activates you and uh, forces you to respond. And responding is an important part of your uh, survival. Uh, so that uh, uh, you, you have to be, be able to respond in order to survive so that uh, it's not all gloom and doom to be anxious because sometimes it's very appropriate to be cautious. Uh, but uh, when you're cautious about everything, then that becomes an issue. And, and you would call it worrying well, that's what they would call it. Uh, because it's an important part of being a, a normal and a moral person. You worry about uh, your health, you worry about your nutrition, you worry about uh, your safety. And uh, so it's uh, an important part of the aging process. Any other thoughts about uh, uh, anxiety and mental health issues. I, I noticed in uh, recently Biden has uh, authorized the millions of dollars that will now be used for mental health. And I think that's a step in the right direction, except it should be billions rather than millions. Any comment about anxiety and stress? This article talks about uh, the link between unhealthy diets and depression. Uh, nutrition, of course, is an important part of our health. And you're never too old to adopt healthy life habits. And uh, uh, this link between depression and, and ill health and tryptophan and other things like that uh, identify those foods uh, that uh, are most likely to contain tryptophan and essential amino acids. And you see that, uh, uh, of course, Darren doesn't like this, but dairy products, poultry, bananas, oats, nuts, and seeds, uh, everything but the dairy products. But the rest of them are very important because they have the essential amino acids. Uh, regulate behavior in the brain and uh, prevent us from getting Alzheimer's disease. I think uh, any other any other comments about nutrition and its relationship to depression and Alzheimer's? And then whenever they talk about this, they always talk about the value of physical exercise. Talk about it, I was in a study at Howard, Dr. Callender, where they were studying exercise, diet, and uh, memory. Mm -hmm. And what it just, I haven't heard the conclusion yet, but the study ended last, last year. Oh, okay. Uh, interesting to see what it found, what it found out about. They should probably be focusing soon though. Yeah. I had a question, Dr. Calendar. Is there such a thing as a sweet tooth? I heard about it. 
I think my mom had a sweet tooth and she had Alzheimer's. Is there a relationship between sugar and memory loss? Well, uh, most people think there's a link between sugar and everything is bad, uh, including memory loss. But uh, the ironic, ironic thing about it is that uh, what is the uh, metabolic pathway that doesn't use glucose? I mean, all of them use glucose, so that uh, glucose is, is important. The problem is whether you exceed uh, the glucose limit, and that is the reaction. And the sweet tooth is something that uh, is labeled for those people who are uh, addicted to sugar. Uh, they say they have a sweet tooth, and we, so far we haven't been able to, to associate that truly with. Uh, whether or not you have diabetes or not. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that is something that does not actually do. Uh, Google says too much sugar causes cognitive declination. Besides killing the brain cells, too much sugar in the brain can also cause slowed cognitive function and even memory or attention problems for seniors. Furthermore, it weakens and damages the blood vessels, which again leads to a declining mental capacity. Right, and so the question is, what is too much sugar for you? Uh, and some would argue any, but remember, glucose is an important metabolic. Uh, as a matter of fact, it feeds almost everything we do because glucose is metabolized. The problem is uh, when you uh, use too much glucose, and that's the question: uh, how much glucose is good for you, and how much is bad for you? And, those people who, uh, that's why most of the studies have concluded that sugar and salt are two of the most uh, dangerous products in, in our diets. I, I could consider myself a person that has um, a sweet tooth, but I also have a salt tooth because I love potato chips and this, that, and that. But <laughs> I know when I was younger, I was so, I was active, you know, I played sports and this, that, and the other, and didn't seem to bother me. But now that I'm older, and I won't say it really bothers me, but I can notice that things that my memory and stuff like that is not as sharp as it used to be, just could come with age. I have kind of cut down on the sweet and the salt, but not as much as I know I should. So maybe I need to do a little better at that. <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> you tell your age? 78. Oh, a great age. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Calvin, the only sugar that I eat is uh, if I eat an occasional something that's processed, but I don't use sugar in anything, but I eat a lot of fruit, and I know fruit has a lot of sugar in it. But I eat the fruit rather than eating the candy. Good. I think that's healthy. Uh, I eat both. Vegetables, fruit and vegetables are what you should be consuming. So nobody's going to talk about uh, the fructose and fruits because it's healthy. Uh, but I have a I have a pretty good memory. <laughs> Good. Everything is relative. <laughs> yeah. 
Dr. Calder, up here where I am in the rehab, uh, all of my meals, no salt, and the sugar that they give me is the uh, sugar substitute. I see. Okay. Way to keep you healthy now. Okay, this is an author that talks about burning as many, twice as many calories while walking. And uh, this is uh, interesting because uh, we all recognize that walking is one of the ways of uh, doing aerobic exercises. And uh, uh, the minimum, of course, is 30 minutes a day to five days a week. Uh, and, and, uh, so that walking is one of the most versatile exercises. Uh, but they talk about the hiking as well, and uh, uh, the brisk pace of walking uh, uh, is perhaps better than the leisurely so, because you burn more calories. And that's, that's the emphasis of this article is about, is that uh, brisk walking is better than just the leisurely walking. That you burn more calories. Now, it's not to say that this is a way of losing weight, because it's not really a good way of losing weight. Over exercise is a good way of keeping your heart working uh, and it's good for you, but it's not really the way you lose uh, weight. However, uh, if you walk at a fast pace, you can certainly burn more calories. That's what this is. Then walking uphill is even better than, than that. So this is interesting. Walking upstairs, walking down here. Um, that, that's, uh, yeah, that's different from the casual walking pace. So they use pace as the way to uh, increase the caloric uh, benefit of walking. Uh, and uh, so uh, it's interesting how they correlate between 60 and 80 pounds, they don't talk about your height. But, you know, probably if you're 6'4 and you're 180 pounds, it's uh, different than if you're 5'10 and you're 180 pounds. How many of you uh, walk uphill and uh, do those things with this car? Now, you see a lot of people walking. Moving hands back and forth as they walk. But this is another part of the, the ways to burn calories as you walk. Yeah, I, I um a year ago I started walking, but uh, four or five months ago I started swimming. So I, I stopped walk. Walking is 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 um not to me not as uh, efficient uh, a calorie burner as uh, as swimming. Right, and walking is not really a good calorie burn. Uh, actually, walking, you know, the ability of the calf muscles to uh, uh, circulate the blood through the legs is uh, one of the benefits of walking. But in, in terms of using it to burn calories, that's not the most efficient way of doing it. Although these ideas uh, take it to another level in terms of, of uh, Walking uphill, walking fast, and uh, brisk walking, uh, and add to uh, uh, walking what you may not get that you get 
Pani Osami. Ale ta strona jest bardzo najważniejsza. Tak jest, tak jak mi to mówiłem, że to pushing the blood up the lane as well as the walking. Go ahead, Sylvia. Yeah, I was just saying, I do walk, but I guess I, I say that, you know, it keeps my heart healthy. You know, it's a brisk walk. And, you know, I don't burn a lot of calories. I walk for maybe an hour or so, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the heart staying healthy. Is that a bad assumption there? Correct assumption. Correct assumption. Right. Thank you. Dr. Cowan, I saw earlier part of the art, uh, this article that says that walking strengthens the bones. Uh, is there some point where, you know, walking is hurting the bones? You know, in other words, let's say you have, uh, you know, knee problems or you have, uh, your bone density is off kilter or something like that. Is, was walking would be a detriment at, at any point? Yeah, if you have uh, arthritis that hurts when you walk, then you uh, actually need to join John in uh, doing water aerobics because that uh, does away with the pain that goes away with arthritis. So that water aerobics would then do for those who, who because of pain can't actually walk. Uh, so that's what, that, that's what you, so those, for those who, who uh, have that pain, they give the exercises in the water and uh, that does away with that. And Dr. Kelly, I had, I had those issues walking. I had a hip, my right hip uh, was, was painful. And I told my doctor and she gave me, um, um, a muscle relaxer um, called Mobic, and uh, it it worked miracles. <laughs> the pain went away, you know, in in my hip. But since I don't walk now, um, I have uh, pain in my shoulder from from swimming a little bit, and uh, I use that that same muscle relaxer to to help with my shoulder as well. I've got like a bursitic type pain in my shoulder that I, yeah. uh, my experience is my experience is that most of the walking aids and pains come from not walking properly what i mean by that is some of the tips they said like stand tall take shorter steps uh that's very important people tend to overstride and that overstriding will cause hip problems plantar fasciitis um so and focus your grade, your gaze. That helps helps to keep your head up. One of the things they didn't mention uh, when walking or running is be sure to nose breathe, avoid mouth breathing. Uh, you can improve your endurance a whole lot by uh, by nose breathing. And nose breathing also filters out a lot of the pollen. Okay, well, this is a very good session to talk about the, uh, the exercise that uh, is good for you. That's the answer to the safety about it. Potatoes, I, I never really uh, paid much attention to that. So I saw this article, uh, uh, but uh, 
they say that you should remove the sprouts first. Uh, that's interesting. How many of you actually have thought about the sprouts? I have never really thought about it. Of course, they, again, I don't cook it, so I wouldn't know about it. So how about those of you out there? Have you paid attention to sprouting in the potatoes? I just take take the sprout off and cook it, just like they say. I didn't I didn't even think about them being good or not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, what about green potatoes? Like when they're green, can you eat them? Like I, I cut the sprouts off of mine, but when they're green, I don't. And I take a like take it either throw those away or take the whole bag back to the store. You know what I mean? When they awesome. eat. You see what it oh. says? Yeah, there it is. It's okay. Yeah. So I'm right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think about potatoes as a source of nutrition, Daryl? They make my wife go to sleep when they when she eats potatoes. Daryl, did you hear my question? Uh, no, I'm sorry, I don't have my hearing aids in. So, what was the question? <laughs> Uh, because I'm wearing uh, earphones to hear the broadcast. That's why the, the hear. As soon as the broadcast is over, I will be back to my hearing aids. I love them. What was the question? What are your thoughts about potatoes? I'm with healthcare benefits, and um, I'm calling. Oh, uh, potato. Yeah, potatoes. Uh, yeah, I, I cut off the sprouts, but you know, I just check to make sure the potato's not rotten. Uh, you know, if it's rotten, I'll throw the whole thing out. So you think potatoes okay as a source of nutrition? Are potatoes okay if? Yeah, as a source of nutrition. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, let's see. What's the deal with potatoes? Uh, potatoes high in potassium. Um, okay, your best choice for for potatoes is uh, red potatoes. Uh, followed by, I'm sorry, sweet potatoes are best choice. Red potatoes, white potatoes, last choice. Um, because they have higher glycemic content for white potatoes. Uh, so that could, uh, you know, that could raise your blood sugar levels. Uh, so red potatoes, if you have a choice, uh, get the red rather than Idaho. It's interesting that most people don't appreciate that uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the uh, yeah. What do you call them? Sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes. Yeah. yeah, that they are healthier than in, <laughs> in other potatoes. You know, sweet potatoes, we often forget how nutritious they are because they're sweet. Mm -hmm. But they, are, they actually are. Really I don't know one of the things about potassium is that it actually lowers the blood pressure. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know whether my sweet potatoes are better because I load them up with butter and sugar and cinnamon. <laughs> well, stop doing that. Sweet potatoes are okay all by themselves. They don't need anything else. They are, but they're better tasting with butter. Yeah, but add cinnamon. <laughs> you can add cinnamon, but it is an acquired taste. It takes an adjustment to get you where you, where you want to go. 
uh, because you got the sweet potatoes, you got the yam, you got the purple potatoes, and you got the red potatoes, and that's where you, you stop. Yeah. Yeah. When you load them up with sugar, you're not, they're not potatoes anymore. They're just candy. <laughs> <laughs> they candied. Throw, throw, yeah, they... throw some marshmallow in with it, too. Amen. Uh, <laughs> can't candied sweet potatoes you know yeah. something some people some people use brown sugar instead of regular sugar so what's the difference mm -hmm. okay uh, sweet. <laughs> much sweeter i have more of a molasses it is something ingredient is related to molasses or something brown sugar. brown sugar mm -hmm. no, instead of white sugar i know it's more nutrition for you because the the white sugar is from the brown sugar but it's just processed yes okay. it's, it's interesting how uh, white they, sugar more bad brown sugar bad all bad sugar bad <laughs> yeah i, I realize it's bad but bad. If, you, if you have to adjust your body from the white to the brown, to no sugar, then that's the path you go. <laughs> At 78, I haven't gotten to no sugar yet. <laughs> not there. Well, not there, I'm just not it, there. It takes time. <laughs> okay, um, this is interesting, the obesity risk and no age through a link to air pollution in this study. Uh, Actually, uh, we all recognize that obesity is not ideal, uh, but that uh, uh, pollution is uh, compounds the problem. I guess that's the main way to say. Why should that be? It's interesting that the more fat uh, makes you more susceptible to air pollution, and of course the Physical activity about uh, the fact that uh, the ozone level is decreasing in so our pollution, uh, therefore decreasing, and that's more and more problem. This country is consuming so much sugar, it's getting into the air. That's an interesting point. I'm going to wonder why stomach rumbles. GI motility is, is all about that. Um, the, you know, it's interesting because when you first start fasting, one of the things that you recognize is that you, you, have, you, have, you have the hunger pains. And uh, the GI motility uh, becomes more evident. And then as, as you go on, through the fasting process, it, uh, it goes away. Now, we, we call it bone arrhythmus 
uh, medical treatment, which is a term we use for the way intestines uh, move uh, food around from the stomach and the duodenum, duodenum through the small intestine, the urinary, and then the and then finally to the colon. Uh, and so this activity of the normal function of the intestines is what causes that rumbling. Now the gallbladder releases bowel and the pancreas releases enzymes that play a key role in metabolizing the food that you eat. And as it goes through, uh, it, uh, the, the, the peristalsis is the term they use to describe the way in which the intestine moves the food along. And uh, this is uh, what you hear when you hear the rumble. Is the uh, intestine moving the uh, gas and, and fluid content through the intestine on its way down to the large intestine. Now, this is an interesting crazy thing about the voodoo. <laughs> uh, I, I have no idea why the that's not saying that you love your spouse that much. Why does drinking alcohol always make you hungry? Uh, it affects the appetite center of the brain. Uh, interesting. Is that saying that it's uh, affects it in the way that makes you want to eat more of it? How do you feel sick when you're hungry? Huh? But uh, I've never got never felt sick when I'm hungry. But some people get nauseated when they're hungry. Of course, uh, that uh, doesn't help the fasting process. How many of you have done fasting and have uh, experienced some of these things you talk? Fasting is, is, is a healthy uh, way of resting with the gastrointestinal fat really rests. And it's a very healthy cleansing process. But, uh, uh, we, do, we do less in the United States than other countries. Uh, and of course, as we look through the older books, Bible and such, fasting is just a normal process. That, uh, Anybody did as they really felt that the, uh, uh, although to obey, to obey better than to sacrifice, uh, is still uh, the sacrifice of fasting is start to be spiritually rewarding as well as physically rewarding. I lose my appetite when it's hot. I don't eat as much in the summertime as I do in the winter. Hmm. Okay. Anybody else have that observation? I I used to I used to fast, but um, you know I'd eat, I'd have so many hours where I would just eat eight eat within an eight hour period, and the other sixteen I would fast. But uh, with the liver condition, I think you have to eat 
smaller meals so more often. All so, of our are busy at this time. Please hold and your call will be answered momentarily. Thank you. Size regularly to strengthen your lungs. Always okay. put your hands or use hand sanitizer. Perlene, you can you mute it? Perlene, okay. can you mute it? Hmm. Okay. Go ahead, Kevin. So I, 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 I stopped fastening um, because they said I had to have a, a steady uh, amount of protein in my diet. So, and, and a fast would not, probably would hurt me. Yeah, okay. Yes. Any other concerns or comments want to make about this uh, interesting article in the rumbling that the gastrointestinal tract uh, brings to life? I fasted a long time ago, but here lately, I just try to cut down on what I'm eating as opposed to just fasting. I think uh, Elizabeth talked about uh, uh, fasting periods uh, and others have talked about it. What's the longest period you fasted? A uh, long time ago, I was just trying to lose enough weight to get into a particular outfit. I think I fasted about 30 days. Wow. Just water. Just well, water. Just water. That, that, question and uh, I should have asked this when the nutritionist is here. How many pounds overweight are you considered fat and how many pounds overweight are you considered obese? Okay, uh, well, of course, Daryl was coming on this before, but with the BMI of 25, that's the, you want to be 25, between 25 and 30 is being overweight. And over 30, that means most of us are obese. <laughs> so if you're 25 pounds, 25, or, 25. huh? 25 is not between 50, between 20 and 25. Your BMI, body, body mass index. Body, yeah, yeah, could you give mass. it to me in pounds? <laughs> you have to. There are BMI calculators on the internet where if you put in your height and weight, it'll tell you your BMI. That's a body mass index, but they're calculated by pounds. And your height. Yeah, your height. Put it in the calculator, it'll tell you your BMI. We have one on we have a we have a chart on our refrigerator, Carol. Yeah, I took it down. So, <laughs> wow. um, so you weren't using, okay, so 25 pounds oh. over 25 BMI. 
No, no, BMI. No, not. no, no, it's not. Um, BMI is the height versus the weight, and the and the product is and the BMI twenty five is between twenty and twenty five is is normal weight. I think down is less than twenty, right? But uh, but twenty five and thirty is overweight. Above thirty is obese. Most my BMI, my BMI is, is my BMI is twenty one. Right, right in the ring. Okay. Right. Carol, we need to put the chart back up. I'm telling you that. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta find it. Okay, I was just wondering because if all of us came to a realization that, because I had one friend we were talking about, another friend's weight, and I said, well, that person really is obese. And if you ever told them to their face they were obese, they would get real mad. But I said, she said, well, am I fat? And I said, yeah, most of us are fat, but we don't say that. We just say slightly overweight. Or if we really realize, we really realize that we're obese, I think we would have a different mindset. That's why I was asking for about pounds and stuff like that. Because when you say BMI, then you gotta sit up there and calculate. But if you say, if you're 10 pounds over your targeted, then you're fat or obese, then I think it would be different. But the BMI just throws us into a different way of being in denial. Because very few people, except for Daryl and Dr. Calendar, know what BMIs are. Well, it's time to be educated about BMIs. Yeah, just, but by the time you're educated, you're obese, obese. Just okay. tell me. Just tell people you're big boned. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't I don't mind saying that I'm fat, but I'm less fat than I was. And I measure my fat on if I can walk up and down the steps and not be out of breath, then I feel like I'm doing better. But what if someone told you you were obese? How would you feel? You can tell that don't mind, that don't bother me. I'd rather be obese than skinny in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but actually the BMI chart, if, if thinking about it, um, most of us, and I'm talking about African-Americans, I'm not sure about the other races, but most of us would end up either fat or obese looking at those charts. True. Uh, when John was in China, they said that most of most okay. Americans are obese. Most Americans overweight or obese. Yeah, obese. looking at the numbers on those charts, you would fall in either overweight or obese category. When you go to foreign countries, it's easy to spot the Americans. They're the fat ones. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's move to the next one. What I feel comfortable with. <laughs> uh, you're a mosquito magnet. That's an interesting. Uh, when I was in Africa, uh, <laughs> I was the only person who uh, the mosquito didn't bother. And <laughs> it always made people wonder what's in your blood? Uh, how do you smell the mosquito? Don't bother you. And I, I never, I mean, but that's a question that has always emerged because uh, uh, 
why is it that some people are so-called mosquito magnets? What is it that the mosquito smell uh, that attracts uh, them to you? And of course, we know. I guess one of the commonest killers of mankind is malaria, <laughs> and of course that is because of the mosquito that uh, infects us, uh, and this is the Aedes aegypti mosquito uh, that spreads disease like yellow and malaria. And uh, the question has always come up: What is it about you that makes uh, mosquitoes? like you? Or what is it about it that makes mosquitoes not like you? And uh, I'm not sure uh, that I know all of the answers. I know uh, people believe it's related to uh, your skin bacteria and your, your blood. And Carol and I are just the opposite. She's the magnet and I'm the repellent. <laughs> I had heard one time that if you had uh, uh, the a mosquitoes like O positive blood. I've never heard that. I don't know whether that's true or not. I'm I'm O positive and they like me. That's for sure. <laughs> they like me too. I'm O positive. I'm O positive. But I read that. I read that somewhere. There, there's one theory that mosquitoes are attracted to body heat because they have infrared vision. And so if you're familiar with infrared goggles, that's where you have night vision because you can see uh, uh, living animals because they produce body heat. And the hotter you are, the bigger a uh, target you are to mosquitoes. So if your body, if you take your temperature and say your normal body uh, temperature is 99, you're more of a target than somebody that runs 97. So I heard that uh, mosquitoes can smell carbon dioxide, and that's what we exhale. And uh, they can tra track us in, in a house or even outside by your carbon dioxide exhalation. But everybody exhales on CO2. So mm -hmm. that's, it can't be more than that. So, so all the this, all the this most, kills my theory of uh, <clears throat> Too much cologne or too much perfume, huh? <laughs> That's more attractive theory, but I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen the definitive study on that. So. Okay. In so soft. Yeah, that's what they say. That's supposed yeah. to work so well. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> They've actually done studies and, and said the mosquitoes are attracted to certain colors. Hmm. Well, here's yeah. the other thing the issue is whether they bite you or not. That's the issue. Well, well they, if they're not attracted to you, then they're not going to... The question is, what makes you the repellent, John, Tatum, and uh, Carol, the magnet? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> the body mass content. Body mass? Oh, Lord. <laughs> if, if you're fat, you know. I have to refer this uh, this question to what my mother did. We uh, we were reared in the area where they had to go around and spray for mosquitoes because that's that's the area I lived in because uh, we were so close to the water. And in the southern states, uh, 
that's what they did in the PM, especially in the summertime. They would go around and spray the neighborhood to decrease the uh, growth of mosquitoes. But one thing my mother did so that we wouldn't be bitten a lot, she didn't give us sugar. We didn't have, we did oh, not. No. We only had desserts only on Sundays. And she says that mosquitoes was attracted by, that's what she believed, that mosquitoes were attracted by the um, sugar in your blood. And mm. she sure that she cooked with a lot of garlic, onions, and celery, and those kind of things. So that, that meant if your glucose level was really, really high, then, then you would be attracted to mosquitoes. Well, she, she, she did the opposite because they didn't have glucose except on Sunday. That was, <clears throat> is that what I understood you to say? That, right, yeah. right, right. And believe me, the uh, dessert that we had, uh, my mother cooked, uh, cooked slice, your slice of cake that was thinner than, you, than the, your, the side of your fingers. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a total of seven of us, seven kids, but it was like two groups. She had four, she had four of us. And then 10 years later, she had three. So it was like four and three. But she was a conservative of, uh, of how to feed us. So when she sliced your slice of cake, it was very thin. All you had was a taste. <laughs> Dr. And she believed in you drinking <laughs> a lot of water. Dr. Go, your hand is up. Go ahead. Yes. When I was a little, we used to hear that um, only the female mosquitoes bite, you know, to suck uh, up uh, blood, uh, to suck uh, up uh, blood <laughs> uh, for their egg, to, in to incubate their eggs. And the male, the male mosquitoes don't bite. They just come and sing in your ear and run away. How far is that true? <laughs> it sounds very true. <laughs> well, I, I believe that's that's true, Doctor. Uh, the, the female mosquitoes are the only ones that uh, that can spread those diseases uh, yeah. by injecting into your bloodstream. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. This is interesting. The hurricane. Uh, his side of community has been plagued by large mosquitoes, and uh, mm. uh, perhaps because of the flooding and everything else. And, mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the bacterial infection and illness is spread by plastic, separated and sanded water, of course, would be the problem. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how uh, nature. Uh, can uh, devastate us more than anything else. Mm -hmm. When you think more about uh, uh, hurricanes and floods, and I guess the other thing, of course, is fire. Fire and water. Google does confirm that only female mosquito mosquitoes bite people. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Oh okay. my goodness. Mm -hmm. That's true for human females too, isn't it? 
You're talking yourself into some trouble. <laughs> they, bite, they bite too. John, you're going to get my channel kicked off the air. I'm going to get a YouTube strike because of, because of comments like that. Okay. Sorry. Save those when you go home if she lets you, if she lets you tell me at the comments like that. So mosquito control then becomes very critical because of the spreading of disease deaths, as you have mentioned. It's amazing how devastating these uh, hurricanes and floods can be. And that uh, when the mosquitoes come in, you have to, when they transmit the different diseases. Interesting how these diseases of the past come back to the future. This we haven't, uh, we've been uh, so far, this is overdue for uh, blood, flooding in this area. And uh, right, right now we're in the fall season, so, so that, that, that period of mosquitoes uh, is yet to come the next year. <laughs> yeah, this is a, we had an article on this before, and uh, the point that now the, the tongue and the throat are uh, the new COVID uh, symptoms. And now a uh, drop nose, uh, and it's it's amazing how the other common symptoms uh, have become uh, much less common. And this is a good graphic that shows how uh, fully vaccinated have one way, the partially vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And uh, you see how the symptoms differ. Not in many ways showing the merit of being vaccinated. But uh, of course, as we, uh, we come across another article that talks about it. Uh, the fact that uh, the flu is going to make things even more difficult as we uh, as do as well. <coughs> Anybody who has not yet received the COVID uh, booster? I don't have the last one yet. Hmm? Because the next thing is the uh, flu vaccine. Remember, I can have both of them. You, you remember to get the devil dose? Yeah, I, I got my flu, but not flu. Did you get the devil dose, Linda? I believe my primary doctor gave it to me, so I'm assuming she gave me the I didn't assume anything. 
to ask him. Uh, of course, yeah. your, your doctor knows you probably. He knows your age as well as anybody else. So, mm -hmm. uh, because over 65, you should be sure you get a double dose. Yeah. D Dr. Callender, does that simply mean uh, two doses of the same thing? No. It means that, that uh, you have a, a vaccine that has a double uh, amount of immunity than the other one. So a single dose that doesn't have the double uh, antibody product is not as good for the person who's over 65. Because your immune system is, is uh, not as potent as somebody who's under 65. And therefore, they have a, a, a special dose for those over 65 in which uh, the dose is doubled. And so you need to ask for them. Uh, you know, those who, who go to a doctor who lives in for years and they have you know, 65, they will automatically do it. If you go to, a, to the pharmacy, uh, then he doesn't know you can have it. And it's important that you let him know that you're over 65 and you want to, you want to have a double dose. Uh, you ask, and you need to ask for it. You're not really enough to recognize that it. as you age, your immune system wanes, and therefore you need to be protected more than a person who's under 65. So I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that you ask, ask for a double dose. Dr. Callender, I got my shots from the DC um, public health. The nurse came to my aunt's house and gave her the, sh the flu and the vaccine and gave me the flu and the vaccine at the same time. Do you think we got the double dose? How old are you? I'm 71. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they usually look at your age. You're over 65, they know that they should give you the double dose. So, uh, but I think it's, it's good for you to know it and also ask to be sure, make sure. I would imagine they come around and they know that you're over 65. But they would uh, automatically do the double dose, but I'm yeah, she's a 93. Um, I care for her, yeah. So they, they, they would uh, probably know that, but I'm um, just suggesting that you should uh, ask, ask if they give you the double dose. People who are in 66, you know, uh, they may not even think <coughs> if 90, they would know. Somebody 80 or 90, they wouldn't know. But I, I think all of us should be knowledgeable enough to ask them. And ask them, is this a double dose? So that they know. Usually they have, they have both. So uh, it's just a matter of asking for it and making sure that they give you it. Okay. Kevin, which kind do you have to get? What did you ask? Which, which one do you have to get? Double or single dose? Who are you asking, John? Uh, Kevin. Oh, I thought, okay, I get the double dose, but I haven't got it yet. I got my flu shot. I mean, I got my vaccine last Saturday mm -hmm. and uh, I'll get the flu next week. And of course, those people who are in the press, they need a double dose, obviously. 
This is an interesting uh, uh, article on increasing pregnancy related death. Um, mm. Talking about the uh, number of women who died from pregnancy and childbirth disproportionately uh, affected black and women's women, women uh, which is which existed before and anyway. And the next data that uh, indicates that the wave of American population is uh, more affected by this than uh, uh, in the Hispanic and African American as well, but especially the Native Americans who have been uh, mm. ignored for, for, for decades. Many wondered why the United States has the maximum return of mortality in the world. And the issue that still is debated. My daughter is a opposition gynecologist and tells much about this problem in the Black and Hispanic intelligence, but they don't really address the Native Americans who are actually, uh, actually have an even higher than they sound even. They talk about Black and Hispanic, but they don't believe out the uh, Native Americans. You know, you think that uh, this is their country, that we would be more sensitive to them. And then, of course, the uh, Black and Hispanic populations are aware of it. The data still reflects that the maternal mortality is higher in the United States than most other, all other developing countries. Yeah, there was a part of that last article that said that hospitals are shedding their obstetric, obstetric services in low-income areas. Why do you think that is? Hmm. When they, it should be just the opposite. I have no idea because it should be just the opposite. In the, in the low-income area, that's the, uh, the material mortality rates are high. They need it more than they uh, ever. Now, that's not good. Okay. Some would argue that they don't care. That's good. That's good. Mm -hmm. uh, I would argue. We don't care about it. And I, I think the data reflects that. Uh, of course, the fact that we don't have the work speaks for itself. But yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my take on it. Do you yeah. think it has anything to do with a lot of people now? Um, having doulas or what we used to call midwives uh, delivering their babies instead of hospitals? Uh, they, do, they do that in hospitals too. Hospitals have doulas. Oh, okay. They but do. a lot of them are doing it at home too. Well, uh, uh, may, maybe so, but uh, uh, they're still doing a lot of it in hospitals. Doulas 
And meanwhile, still a lot of them in the hospital. Okay, okay. DC had a hospital that had to cut out uh, obstetrics because they had too many uh, they had too many uh, deaths. That hospital over in Southeast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the that was the last year. Yeah, they, they stopped them from doing it because of the right. High mortality. The ones that are done at home are probably not part of the study. Probably not because they, you have to be relatively healthy to do it at home. And probably have good care up until that point when you decide that you want to do it at home. Mm -hmm. I know my, my niece was having her, her daughter was having her first grand, you know, this was going to be her first grandchild. So she took uh, the courses and whatever you have to do to become a doula. And she, so she could deliver her grandchild. I see. Okay. Of uh, COVID, the flu, and the respiratory uh, virus, mm -hmm. which is already uh, infected uh, many areas. Uh, already, pediatric hospitals are uh, overflowing with people from RSV, uh, the rhinovirus. And uh, we think this is a, a, a foreboding of what is going to come. In the flu season hits us. The RSV, the flu, and the COVID are going to face all at the same time in the flu season. So, so they are requesting everybody to get their vaccination ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And of course, now's the time to, to get vaccinated if you haven't been vaccinated. Uh, essentially, I went to a, a basketball game the other day, and I think in a crowd of about 19,000 people, there's probably about 50 people who wore masks. Hmm. Yeah. That's an indoor. Outdoor is uh, less uh, problematic for indoor. That sounds like an uh, alien wearing a mask. <laughs> um, of course, you know, this, this is it's early on now. So for, for another two weeks, the season will be the final. We're interested to see what happens since we've abandoned most of our healthy practices. Use during the pandemic. I was on a plane two weeks ago, and uh, the people that were with me, three people with me, and we were the only people on the plane with masks on. Well, you know, it's interesting. Think of the plane, the safest part of the plane ride is in the plane. The, the real place that you need to worry about is. 
outside of the plane, you know, uh, all those people were walking with you know, to and fro the plane. Well, we had it on. We had it on in the airport. It wasn't nobody in there with a mask on. Only the Uber driver. <laughs> yeah, I think that, but that's where the access where the virus is passed because they have a, 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 a system in the plane that uh, uh, allows the filtration uh, to be good in the plane itself. The outside of the the, the, the virus, the lichen. Mm. Just go ahead and see what happens this lichen. There is a, a, another variant that seems to be increasing, so it's going to see what, what will happen with this. New variant. That's just what it is. That's what it is. That's what it is. And we're all fearing because of what happened in the flu. Uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, we have a, a very blue film uh, winter. I'm trying to stay safe. It's tough. If you look around and nobody around you has a mask. I think the point about those of you who are going to express for more at risk than others. Dr. Callender, do you have more information about that RSV? Uh, no, I haven't seen uh, any other than the article that you have read that talked about particularly general. Uh, and, and I think we might see if we can find some more articles in the Because they talked about what you can not seeing for, they don't talk about it. This is a little uh, bothersome to me. Um, in fact, that uh, we have such a small percentage of, of people who are fully vaccinated. Just 49% compared to uh, being fully vaccinated is not a thing. And we've talked about why people are reluctant to become vaccinated. In this country, we're so easily vaccinated. And we uh, use a relatively Underutilization of the uh, bivalent vaccine is very problematic. Will there be another surge this fall? Hmm. 
Well, the article talks that it will be. I mean, there's a surge. Um, well, we, we anticipate it, but we don't know for sure. Yeah, yeah, we don't know. They anticipate, yes. I, I thought this was to me irrelevant. It just positive. So, so well. who hasn't tested positive? <laughs> you almost have to look for those people who haven't tested positive. The president, Tony Fauci, and everybody else. Uh, she joins a list, a huge list of people who have been become uh, positive. So, so I what it says is you need to be vaccinated. Yeah. Now, this is, you mentioned a comment about anticipation, and this is why uh, you've had a pattern of cold temperatures, and we've had uh, COVID numbers in pieces. And so this is the reason why we think that we may have the same thing. What happens there often happens, happens there as well. So, what does that mean for us? I'm not sure. Does that mean we'll have to take another vaccine in six months? I'm not sure. I'll have to wait and see. XBB is the one that uh, we're talking about now that's, that uh, we are wary of. Although uh, I think uh, you may be complacent because we have had the booster. Should we be? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> that was an interesting article about. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, what a distinction, huh? <laughs> you live. You take the first batch when it's just me and And not long, it, 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 it's interesting. It, it was 60 years old, but it was 34 years later. You said not long after, but how long after? That's the problem <laughs> with, art, with, with these articles, they ain't so vague. I mean, it's 34 years later. You got it. Yeah. It's Iranian. Wow. All that dirt was covering him from any kind of virus, I'm sure. Uh, one thing, he, he still he lived to be in 94. That's one thing. Wow. It's interesting for those who are interested in yoga, which is a form of exercise that is a meditation that is proven to be a benefit. And so, uh, and I think this is uh, something that comes from the East, uh, but uh, the power of it is well known in the West. And so there's so much, you know, when we think about Eastern medicine, uh, we sometimes forget that uh, this began 
long before we became investigated, aware of it. And the other is one of the things that the Eastern Eastern providers were when you think about uh, medicine, a lot of the uh, old medicine practices and uh, was not appreciated in the Western solution. And Dr. County, I think a, a, a lot of people don't realize what all is involved in yoga, but it it can be um, very uh, uh, involved with all your muscle groups, um, stretching and strength. Uh, the down dog is an awesome exercise. I can hardly do it. Uh, the um, the planks, you know, it's like it's almost like doing push-ups, but uh, it it's an it's another level of of strength training that uh, you know I, I think some people don't realize uh, you know the the, medita the meditation part comes at the, at the end you know when when your body's like totally um, uh, you know benefited from the from all the uh, stretching and, and all the exercise and the breathing you know while you're doing that well this article clearly uh, uh, lets you know that it is, uh, it is more advantageous than most of the other exercises mm -hmm. it has benefits that are well proven to cancer so that, uh, uh, the, the western world is now aware of the great contribution of yoga to health, which it wasn't before. Before there wasn't much data on it. Now there's plenty of data that indicates the uh, benefits of yoga. This this could help Chris with his balance too. Well, I think he's. he's Trying to work out his balance, he worked out his balance, but tonight he's certainly definitely some really good water work for him. Now, the healthcare field, there's a lot of burnout, and uh, uh, meditation is now being recognized as a stress reliever that may decrease the rate of burnout. A lot of the burnout is related to the uh, Business of medicine. Well, not so much the practice of medicine, but the business of medicine. Yeah. You had a comment, Ben? Okay. Yeah, but I think that uh, meditation, <clears throat> one of the issues there is less. Uh, emphasize. We talk about exercise a lot. Sometimes we tend to forget about the we talk about mental health and physical health and forget about the spirit and the value of meditation. Because as I said before, we have to have physical, mental and spiritual health. And I think that uh, meditation provides that aspect of it. That's the uh, so you're good. Thank you.
Through the dark time. Anytime it's a dark night, you're afraid of that day. It helps. But uh, as we talk about help, we tend not to uh, include that as an important part of the non-momentarian figure now. We talk about nutrition and other things. We tend to under-emphasize your future, the importance of uh, meditation. Not in this case, but uh, in some other environment. Dr. Atoll? Yes. Yes, uh, I have uh, a quick comment. <clears throat> uh, when I was uh, living in Africa, when I was small, uh, the, we lived in a, a rural area where there's no water. The only water we have is what we collect from um, a well. We, we dig up uh, a portion of land and let the rainwater settle there. And then we fetch the water and use for bathing. And when the water dries up, then we, we don't bath. For weeks, months, we don't bath. And then in certain uh, areas in Africa, some communities don't bath at all. Uh, from the time they are born till the time they are dead, they, don't, they just use clay mixed with, with some herbs um, uh, to paint their body. I think the Kenyans uh, is uh, practiced in Kenya. And I wonder, you know, in the civilized world, like the Western world, where you bath every day or every two days. What is the importance of uh, uh, bathing? And does it reduce the microbes that protect our skin from uh, uh, infection? Hmm. That's a great subject and a great question. And I'm not sure I know the answer to it. Uh, uh, sometimes what we practice and think is a given is not actually a given. And I think that's why uh, John put that article in there about the guy who didn't, didn't bathe at all. Uh, because uh, we think that it's, we think it's, it's not necessarily healthy, but it's good for others around you. If you uh, bathe, uh, oh. I'm not sure that, that we know that it's uh, good for our health. I think a lot of it is, is concerned about uh, uh, negatively impacting those around us because we think, perhaps. But uh, that, that's, an, uh, I haven't read an article that really answers your question. And so if we can find one, uh, I forget, but I, I don't know any article that has actually looked at the question that you posed, which is a very good question. I don't know. Dara, do you have any information on the, uh, how those who bathe and those who don't bathe, uh, how that affects their longevity and their health and uh, welfare? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, the only thing that comes close is I remember during the dark ages with the uh, bubonic plague and um, and dark death, I mean, black death, 
uh, in Europe, it was a practice to um, bathe only like once a year. Um, you know, that that wasn't a universal practice in Europe. The, uh, the Moors in Spain, uh, they were daily bathers. But very interesting question about, you know, whether uh, regular bathing is beneficial. I have no idea. I, I'm going to do what uh, Elizabeth has done talking about her mom. It was 1903. And one of her philosophies, we didn't bathe uh, daily. We used to bathe once a week. But um, my mother's philosophy was uh, too much water rusts iron, so I shouldn't put it on. <laughs> 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 so. Well, let's Let's see if we can find some data on it. I, I don't know. Maybe. So let's try to find some data. We're going to answer your question next week. So back to Great question. Though. Thank you. Now, this is interesting. I, I was surprised that TB is still killing so many people. Uh, but uh, apparently, TB is still has taken over from uh, COVID uh, as the deadliest infection disease in the world. And wow. I was surprised because I, actually I, I thought the malaria would be second to uh, COVID, but uh, this, this article points out that TB is still uh, uh, killing people all over the world. Mm. You imagine killing over 4,000 every day. Can you imagine that? But TB, wow. Especially since we have treatment for TB. Hmm. But uh, anyway, that's I don't be interested to just see that article that points out that uh, uh, it is a disease of the poor. And uh, I, I know I had it when I was 15. And I guess that meant that we were poor. I never heard it. <laughs> that we were poor, actually. Until I, until I came down with TV. And then I guess I was forced to. Recognize it, I guess you were poor. I didn't realize that until about 10 years later. I thought we were wealthy. Uh, everything is relative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. Now, this is a, I think it's maybe one of the last hours we can do. But Ebola virus is. Had an outbreak in Uganda, and because of the uh, air, airplane, uh, we are fearful that uh, people will bring this disease into the United States. And so, most churches have been warned about this and asked to develop strategies to address this. And uh, maybe this is something that we hope does not occur, but. Uh, uh, it's the fifth outbreak uh, in, uh, in Uganda since 2000. Yeah. And, so, and the mortality rate is 50 percent, so it's a disease more not to come into this country. And the point is that there are no direct flights, but that doesn't mean you can't get the United States on Uganda. And so, uh, while first originated in the uh, Public and Congo is still uh, moving. And so the question is 
what can we do to keep it from spreading across the world? So the uh, screening needs to be done at airports. So, um, I don't know what else we can do locally, except to identify travelers from Uganda. Um, and should we have visitors from Uganda, we should uh, notify uh, um, The question is, uh, are, are all churches still getting, uh, having people fill out forms when they come to church? And I like church, but I don't know if other churches are still doing that. You did that at your church, Carol? You haven't still filled out forms? What did you say? I'm sorry. Uh, are, you, are they still out forms in, in your church? Uh, when people come to, come to the services, they still have to fill out forms? Oh, no, they stopped that. Um, now we can sit on any other road and all that kind of stuff. But no forms, which means that uh, people could come from Uganda and come to church and spread Ebola. And uh, anyway, the district of health is trying to, is informing churches so that they would be aware. I don't know what else to do about it. Especially our church, we still have to fill out a form when you go to, but it only addresses COVID. It doesn't address any other issue. Mm -hmm. It doesn't address whether you travel or whether you get out of the country. And that would be something that maybe we should add to our own. Any other thoughts about this? Dr. Keller, what is the name of your church? Asbury United Methodist Church. Okay. Yeah, one, one of the things about Ebola uh, that's different from COVID is that when you get Ebola, you're, you're dead within a very short period of time. So it's very easy to trace because of the, of the death pattern. But it's, it's extremely virulent. And it's, uh, like I said, it's easy to track where it came from, where it's going. So con contact tracing of Ebola is, is a cinch. Well, except that if you if you don't have if you don't know where people come from, uh, the only way you know is after they die, and by that time they've uh, contacted other people, and there's a fifty percent mortality. So uh, it then becomes important to know uh, to identify people who actually been to parts of Africa and people go to Africa every day, and so. Uh, and they don't necessarily uh, come directly from Uganda and then come to the United States and they stop off somewhere else. And so uh, uh, knowing whether they have been to Uganda or Congo becomes important in the history. But since we're not getting that information, somebody could theoretically come to the church and study. That's really the thought anyway. But your point is well taken, that the, um, the, uh, it's the high mortality rate is uh, easily traceable. Uh, 
more I get to it before that. Uh, this should be the last article because we don't get the cross. The polio, we talked about the uh, outbreak of uh, polio uh, in the fluid, in the, they found it in the pool, in the water. And so, and they had one person who actually developed polio and was paralyzed. And so they now are uh, using the polio vaccine again. And it's trying to get the risk of this disease becoming uh, infected for people again. Having one case, uh, no one suspects it could happen. Uh, more than one. Okay, I think we should stop here. Some sort of any it's frightening though to have that concern. Yeah. <laughs>